0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. So uh, as we do continue on with our, our messages out of the Minor Prophets, I will confess to you these have been challenging for, for both Sean and I to, to do. As you can imagine, if you've read them, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of, a lot of places to go. Um, so, hopefully you've been able to draw something out of these that would help your, your walk, as I said. So, with Zephaniah, a pretty small book, most of us probably haven't even heard of it, if we haven't memorized that books of the Bible Song. Um, it's not very prominent, there's nothing striking about it, uh, and Zephaniah himself is a pretty, you know, mundane character. The, uh, the historical context for two seconds here, just to give you an idea, it's near the southern, or it's near the end of the southern kingdom, and chronologically. Uh, The kingdom of Judah that would be the one that lasted longer Um, In verse 1 actually he puts himself within the reign of King Josiah Which was around 40 years before that kingdom fell and it he would be Concurrent with about the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry if that's something that connects with you and actually probably right at the same time as Habakkuk who Sean preached about last week. Um, So that's kind of the the Historical context of that his name itself means the Lord hides or uh, the Lord Uh, Shelters that kind of thing and this book happens to be a collection of his poetry many of the uh, Many of the prophets what we have from them is poetry that they wrote for some reason That's the way God chose to communicate it doesn't sink in with my brain But that's that's the story if that's your thing then poetry is here in the Bible for you, too So to give you a quick overview of what the books about pretty simple here Defying God is a bad idea He's gonna eventually run out of patience and he's gonna end it rather severely and abruptly, both for other nations and for Jerusalem and only those who trust him will survive. That's pretty much the story, okay? It's a pretty short and sweet story. And honestly, that's pretty much the theme of the whole Bible, right? That defying God is bad, he's not gonna take it forever and the only way to get through it is with him. So that's kind of what we're, we're seeing as we go through these prophets, especially the minor prophets, and this is what's been some of the challenges. They all kind of say the same thing, just in different ways. So what we need to do today is how can we draw something out of that that's a little bit more specific for our lives, okay? And one of the things I see as I get, I get a sense reading through this one is that Zephaniah is kind of exasperated. He's, he's kind of had it with his countrymen that they're continuing to live this way after watching the Northern Kingdom fall and then living the way they lived and having good and bad things happen to them. And he, I think he feels like they're not paying attention to how they're supposed to be different from the other cultures around them. In fact, it seems like they've embraced the other cultures around them. And it, it, I get the sense that he's trying to tell them, hey, your perspective, your, your worldview, that we might call it, is completely out of whack. You got it backwards. Things are messed up. So as I was trying to think about how to, to get that message across to us today uh, and trying to relate it to something familiar a famous movie series came to mind, a particular uh, event in there, it, it like sprung out at me. So I have a movie clip that will hopefully help you to see the perspective shift that Zephaniah is talking about. And truthfully, um, it's really what most of the prophets were calling Israel out on, is having that, that backwards perspective. So Tommy, if you play that clip for us, it's real short. I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. I should have known the Jedi were plotting to take over. Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine is evil. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Well, then you are lost. So in that clip, I don't know if you could hear it or not, uh, it's Obi-Wan and Anakin arguing about, you know, that was the end of their time together, um, arguing about uh, stuff, and Anakin comes out with, from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. Okay. Now, do I have to give a spoiler alert on 40-year-old movies? Is this okay? Are we all right? I do? Okay. Um, the, you know Here it is that you, you have uh, a guy who was supposed to be like the chosen one to fix everything and had been trained up in the right way. And then he had some fears in his heart and the emperor took him and twisted him and lied to him. And all of a sudden we went from cute little pod racer boy who has that cute little crush on the princess to Darth Vader, right? and this guy's trying to kill everybody. Okay, so things got flip-flopped in a hurry on that, and, and that's kind of what happened with Israel, too. They had all the right training, and now all of a sudden, boom, the cultures around them, they fell for it, and now they're, they're living backwards. So what I wanna do is use I to examine us, our worldviews, how do we look at life, and where are we backwards, right? We wanna make sure that we're not believing the lies that'll take us away from the truth that I mentioned earlier, the very simple truth, defying God is a bad idea. He's not going to put up with it forever and the only way to get through it is to trust in him that, that's really what we that's the worldview we need to have as christians if we're trying to follow jesus that's how things work and if you don't have that in place if you're backwards somewhere you're going to struggle okay so so that that's what i want to talk about today so there's a couple of lies i think specifically that you can pull out of the the verses from zephaniah that are, are pretty common that that we would be encountering and the first one is, is um very, I think you'll see both of these very common, uh, common thoughts that people would have. You know, it's not really that bad. God doesn't really care so much about that. That's a little thing. It's okay. Anyway, look what everyone else is doing, right? Look at that guy. Look, at he, I'm not a murderer, right? That stuff. And he's got bigger things to worry about. And you know what? It's just, you know, it's how I am. He's going to expect me to mess up, and it's okay, right? Those are all lies, guys. That's not the way it works. God's very concerned about how we are and how we live. So let's take a tour, a little, a little quick tour. I'm not gonna read all of Zephaniah, um, but I wanna read a few verses here to, to show you the things Zephaniah was calling out. He was saying, hey, this is how you're doing it wrong. And if we can, draw some parallels to our lives now so that we can apply this thing, right? I, reading poetry and not applying it is tough on the brain for me anyway. Um, so let, let's try to see, see what's going on here. So in verse four through, verses four through six, this is, uh, this is what Zephaniah says, and, and we can take from that the, uh, how to apply how it to pl- our lives. In verse four, he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the, pri- along with the priests, those who bow down on the, roofs of, of the, on the roofs to the host of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear to Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and who not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So what I, I believe here... Um, Zephaniah is calling out is, is a you know worship of false gods, obviously Baal and all those guys. So here in America today, we probably don't find anyone worshiping Baal. I wouldn't think. I guess there might be some fringes here and there doing stuff like that, but generally speaking, um, that's not the culture we live in. So where are our false gods? Where are the where are the ways that we you know spiritually seek after uh, satisfaction, authority, our, our wisdom in life, all that stuff that aren't Jesus. And there are a lot of false prophets and false religions out there. When you put it in that framework, it's pretty easy to, to see that that's the case. Um, some of those false prophets and false religions would look like Christians, you know, and those, those would be, we've talked about some of those here, and some that clearly are not, just completely separate. So when you're looking at this stuff, how do you know if you're believing a lie, all those things, if it's not that bad, it's okay, or if you're following the truth. And honestly, guys, that's why God gave us this, so we would know what the truth is and what's a lie, right? He gave us the word. And it's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs to help us remember what's in there um, and understand it if we don't quite understand, okay? So if, if you're following after a religion of some sort, whether it's here at River, following Jesus, or, or some other place, you know, following whatever you think you're following, you have to have some way to know what's true or false. And, and from our understanding, the, the Bible is God's word, and that's how we can tell if things don't line up with that, then you got a problem. And I'll say this too, on a little bit of a side note, if if people are bringing new revelations that aren't in the scripture, I can't guarantee anything really in life, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's probably false, right? God has made it clear in his scripture that we've got all we need for life and godliness here in the Bible. So um, if you're in that realm, following after things that appear Christian, you gotta look at the, the scriptures to see if it's true. And really what's tough to spot is those that look a lot like the truth, okay, and are only wrong a little bit. Those are tough to pick out, and and you might find yourself in a place where you're not sure. Um, so you really need to check out the word, follow, you know, follow along with what they're saying and figure that out. And frankly, you have to look at their lives as well. It's not um, what people say isn't the only thing that that matters, right? The way they live matters. And Matthew seven, Jesus specifically warned us about that. Warned us about false prophets and to check out. The, the way they live, the fruit, we'll know them by their fruits. That's where that, that phrase comes from. And we're, if those who tell you how to live contradict scripture, that's false, it's not right. Um, and I, I'm not talking about an occasional goof, of course. People, we all fall, we sin, things happen. I'm talking about lifestyle, um, you know, intentional living, certain ways like that. Uh, a, a good analogy for you, I, I try to, when I'm talking about that, I try to tell people if you're surprised by that behavior from that person, that's probably an oops, right? If that's the way they are, that's an issue. You know, football season's starting up, and if you are following a team and you have a player on that team that you like, and like let's say a wide receiver or something like that, and he catches every pass but drops one, yeah, all right, that's how happens, right? But if the guy can't catch anything, that's it, he's gotta go, right? If he never catches a pass, why is he there? So if, if uh, uh, someone's, you're following someone, and he's constantly dropping the ball, there's probably something wrong, right? If he drops one, we sin, things happen. We, we hopefully have some understanding and some grace. But, you know, if you're trying to follow after uh, Jesus, really, so we should be following, right? But if you're following after a, a false religion, you'll know it when they keep dropping the ball, is my point. Okay, so we want to make sure that as we're, we're not going to be like these guys and follow the wrong religions, you, you got to follow the word, follow Jesus, follow the Holy Spirit, and let that stuff tell you What's right and wrong? Not people. We can't follow people. People is a problem. Um, Honestly, guys, if you uh, if you follow people, you're going to get disappointed, right? I I assure you, if you try to follow after me, I will disappoint you. Probably five minutes after church is over. Honestly, it's just real. You know, it's just it's the way it is. But if you're following after the Word, following after Jesus with people, and we do follow our leaders, it happens. If we're following with them and watching them paying attention to the word, we'll be doing this together and we'll all be on the right path, as opposed to follow that guy what he says, no matter what, that's looking for trouble. And that's a lot of what these guys were doing is they were following after, after false religions and not thinking about what they already knew from the scriptures. So th- there's there's one of the, the things that happened in that live, it's not that bad, is people will, will take you down a path that, ah, it's not a big deal, and it is, okay? Um, another piece that you can see in Zephaniah from his um, from what he wrote, in verses 8 and 9, not following after people, but following after a culture, trying to fit in with the surrounding culture. So in verse uh, 8, Zephaniah wrote, and on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. So what he's referring to there, that that list of things, is some foreign customs. I don't get into the details there, but some of them were religious. They were following some religious customs, which we just kind of talked about. But some of them were lifestyle choices, the way they chose to live amongst the cultures that they were living in. And God warned them up front. He told them, don't get mingled with those cultures. When they took over the Promised Land, he wanted them all out of there because he didn't want them to mingle and they didn't listen. And the result of that was the fall of the Northern Kingdom then the fall of the Southern Kingdom. They didn't listen and they, they paid that price. Um, so the religious stuff we dealt with, but the lifestyle stuff, this is the other part of that lie of, ah, oh, it's not so bad. And this is probably more insidious. Okay, this can get tough. Um, our cultural worldview the, the way we view things and how it works, it has to really, it has to line up with Jesus or we're in trouble, right? If we don't line up with God on that, we're gonna find ourselves going down paths that will take us places we don't wanna be. Um, so that's what you have to ask yourself, is how much of the way I've chosen to live and, and view the world, lines up with God, and how much has been pulled away by the culture around us? We need to be honest with ourselves about that. It happens, the culture tugs on us and pulls us different ways, and we don't even know it, we don't even think about it, because that's the way we were raised, that's the way we grew up, and, and you, have to, you have to consider that. If you don't consider it, you're just gonna fall into those traps. And by the way, just a little bit of an aside here, kind of a, a lie that's there, but I don't wanna spend a lot of time on. Not all cultures are equivalent We live in a very politically correct world and I'm probably gonna step on some toes here, but reality, guys, not all cultures are equivalent. Things that people do aren't okay just because it's their culture. It's very simple. There's things that God says are right or wrong that are are not acceptable and cultures say differently. The cultures are wrong, not God. Um, A a famous evangelist named Robbie Zacharias put it this way, and I, I can't put it any better. Not all cultures are equal. In some cultures, they love their neighbors. In other cultures, they eat them. Which do you prefer? That was pretty succinct, right you know was, and there are not many cannibals left in the world, but at a the time there were right was that okay because that was our culture i don't think i 'd want to live there, right Now you take that into today 's world there's cultures that say x, y, and z are okay, or or this is the way we live, and it 's not what the word says it's that simple um, and honestly, we 're being fed some lies by the culture around us that cultures are equivalent. There are cultures that um, are are praised as wonderful that wives are property women can't go out of the house without permission from their husband or father or whatever and they need a male accompanying them that's not the way the scripture teaches wives are not property guys right And those in those same cultures homosexuals are thrown off roofs because they're bad and the people that promote those cultures have the nerve to call christians intolerant so I just want to point that out to you, that not all cultures are equivalent, and we shouldn't look at it that way. And we shouldn't let those cultures feed into the way we think. We need to let the word feed into the way we think. So back to how we take, uh, there was my detour. Back to how we take the, the culture around us and how we uh, you know, get our, our lifestyle sorted out. You've got some serious stuff. There's big issues in life that we all consider. You've got philosophical, political stuff, personal things like you know, your sexuality, the way you relate to people, the way your personality you know, connects with the world, stuff like that. Um, you've got some mundane things that we have to consider. You've things like at your house, your job, finances, stuff like that, just everyday living. And then we've got stuff that seems minuscule, like entertainment choices or just pastimes, hobbies, things like that, what movies or books we're going to pay attention to, music, stuff like that. I would say in those bigger things, most of us probably won't get drawn away by the culture, probably, you know, especially if we're trying to follow Jesus, if, that, if that's your intention. There's some landmines you can step on, especially if you're... Um, you you're, haven't thought about it, or you, if you're young and inexperienced and haven't really you know, spent a lot of time thinking about who Jesus is, just kind of going with the flow. Or if perhaps your flesh is particularly weak in certain areas, you might not think that through. That, that, that's possible. But generally speaking, big decisions, we take a step and stop and say, all right, let me think this through. So most of the time with those things, you're probably not gonna be drawn away by culture if you have the desire to follow Jesus. But you, know, you, you gotta think about it, certainly. Um, the, the mundane stuff, I, I, I got a feeling for most of us, if we got real with ourselves, we often don't put God in the middle of that. Um, you know, there's, there's some places where, you know, I, I talked about like houses, jobs, finances, stuff like that. Um, you know, those things do matter to God. It's a, it might be a newsflash to you, might not, you might not realize that, but God does care about the way we go about our business, the way we work, the way we use our money, he does care. Um, you know, the, the, the Bible's very clear. He expects us, expects us to have integrity at work. He expects us to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Um, we should do that. Uh, in um, Proverbs, the ant is praised for being wise and planning up and storing away. You know, taking care of your finances is a good idea. It, it, it's the way God wants you to do things. So we can't just blow that off. And, and it, that's a place where we might find ourselves doing that. We might find ourselves just kind of doing what everybody else does and not thinking about it but we need to let the word speak to those things. Okay, that, that's, that's important that we not ignore that. And then um, when we get down into like the the minuscule little things, entertainment, things like that, guys, he cares where our minds go, okay? It, it is important that we uh, do consider the types of things we do to pass our time. And I'm not gonna you know, tell you what to do, I'm just telling you to think about it, right? There, there's a lot of room to be in different places and different uh, Perspectives and, and the way we approach things as, as Christians There's places that some of us will go that others aren't comfortable with and, and that's not that's Real, okay, that, that's a real thing But if you haven't considered the fact that God's riding along with you, right? Think about this if you're if you're following Jesus if you've surrendered to him His Holy Spirit lives in you in your heart in your mind what you see he sees What you hear he hears if you've not considered that you should that, that's my point in this, okay? Um, take care, our minds are precious to the Lord. Our hearts and our minds, they are like, they're what he died for, right? That, that's how valuable they are to Jesus. He cares what goes in there. So, so take care, think about it. Consider what you're gonna put into your brain, what you're gonna let your eyes see, your ears hear, and think about Jesus there, okay? And, and that will help you to not follow after the culture that's taken us down some bad paths in those things. So those two ideas together, I think when you, when you look at that, it's really easy to see how our cultures would say, ah, it's not so bad, it's okay. And I think it, if we really kind of want to sum it up, and Zephaniah does for us, I'm going to read a verse to you in a second. I, I think it can be summed up pretty much in kind of a self-satisfied, I got this taken care of, I don't, you know, it's okay. God, God doesn't really mind if I do X, Y, and Z. And Zephaniah addresses that specifically in terms of how God's going to look at that in verse 12 of chapter 1 he says this, verse 12, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. God's not going to worry about that. Zephaniah that, that is addressing that. God's not going to do anything about this. It's okay, right? That's not the way it is. God's going to punish the complacent people who say God's not going to care so much about that. So we need to not be that person, right? We don't want to be the one saying, ah, whatever, right? Don't fall for that lie. It does matter. Those things matter to God, okay? So that, that's the first thing I saw in here that we could take, take out of it is, is God cares how we address things in our lives. It, nothing is too small. He's there, okay? The second lie, and this one is, I, we're all going to hopefully, I think, relate to this one. Hey, I got this. No problem. Got it covered, okay? Everybody, Every single person that ever lives starts in that mode. Newborns don't know they're there, but they are. Okay, they, knew, they do need help. They cry a lot and they want stuff. But it doesn't take long before that "me do it," I you know, I got this kind of thing takes over. And before kids walk, they're there. Honestly, probably the and, and I when I try to convey ideas, being a parent has really impacted me in terms of how I look at myself, how God sees me. Versus how I see my kids, it's really, especially when they're little, because they're so clueless, right? It really has, has given me such a view on how God sees us. So I use those illustrations a lot. Forgive me if I've used them before in, in preaching and stuff or teaching. But, um, you know, when we, I've seen so much how we relate to God. And we're such little children compared to him. And I've got such, uh, it's impacted me so much, like I said, that, that it's I can't help but use these illustrations. Because it, it tells such a story to me. You know, everyone that's been around a little kid has seen him, seen him say, Now, me do it, you know, leave me alone, let me do it, and then watch him fall down and do stupid things, right? That's the way kids are. In fact, I, one of my favorite ways to consider this is my oldest son. I can, I can call him out because, one, he's not here, <laughs> and two, he was only like eight or nine months old, so he doesn't matter anyway, right? When he was, like, like I said, eight or nine months, he wasn't walking yet, but he was starting to stand up. He's sitting on my lap, and he wanted to stand up. I'm like, Okay, so I'm helping him and he's pushing my hands away you right you're, you're gonna fall pushing my hands away you're gonna fall all right boom he fell down i, I didn't drop him on the floor like i did with some of my other kids sometimes <laughs> directly on their head oh sorry david um the uh you know but he just yeah, fell on my lap but it was such a picture to me he couldn't stand his legs were too weak right but he kept, he was going to do it. He was going to do it. And eventually, obviously he did. And he needed that practice. You need to have that, that work. But it was so clear how much we do that to God. He's trying to hold us up because he knows we're going to fall. And we're pushing away. I got this. I got this. And that is by far one of the biggest lies. We don't got this, guys. We don't, right? There, there's this reality here that we cannot stand on our own without Jesus. That is a it's a fatal error to, to think that way. In fact, it's not just fatal for this life, it's fatal for eternity. If we think we got this spiritually, we're done. It's not gonna happen. So how, let's look at Zephaniah, how do we look at, in our, in our approach to this, to, to, to living lives, how do we trust ourselves and get in God's way, right? How, how is it that we say, I got this, and push God out of the way, practically speaking from what Zephaniah says? So there's a couple of really good examples in here. Uh, verses 10 through 13 and I jump around a little bit in there. This is all in chapter one, by the way if I haven't said that so far um, Chapter verses 10 through 13. We see that trusting wealth is a bad idea. I mean that, that's not rocket science I think we all have a, a grasp on that but Zephaniah addresses it God addresses it. So I'm gonna address it so that we're not losing You know, we're not missing something here uh, it Says verse 10 on that day declares the Lord a cry will be heard from the fish gate a wail from the second quarter a loud crash from the hills well, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traders are no more, all who weigh out silver are cut off. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. So that first couple of verses there, those are all places in Jerusalem, the fish gate, the second quarter, the hills, the mortar. Those are all like known business districts, things from their time that they would have known who he was talking about. It was like us saying Wall Street, okay, that, that kind of thing. So those places are all falling apart in and, and, and that day when, when God brings an end to things and nothing, none of the things that they've done and built for themselves are gonna matter anymore. We see the parable that Jesus tells about the man who builds up his silo to fill it full of grain and God comes to him night, that night and says, you fool, your life is required of you right now. What is that gonna do for you, right? So that, we, we've heard these things before, we know. But honestly, in our hearts, do we live that way? Okay, do we, do we really understand that the, the wealth that we are accumulating and gathering, does it make a difference? Um, I would say most of us, I, I would hope most of us don't have an attitude that our financial planning prowess that we're so good at this is gonna make us right with God in an eternal sense. I mean, most people don't have that kind of perspective, I would think, but you know, I could be wrong. However, for the Jews of Zephaniah's day, um, it was mistakenly understood that wealth was a sign of God showing favor on your righteousness, that you were a good person, so you were wealthy. So Zeph and I had to address that. I, I, I suppose there's some danger of that creeping into our view, worldview as well, but most of us have a little bit of sensitivity that bad people can get rich too, right? You know, in fact, a, a bulk of uh, very rich people have gotten there by means that are less than savory. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we have that kind of thought in our worldview, um, but it yeah, might creep in there. I don't know. Uh, There is, however, a very dangerous false teaching, I just wanna bring to your attention from the Christian world along these lines. Um, And I don't want, again, I'm not gonna pick out on people, but there's the idea that since God loves us, he wants us to be wealthy and healthy. And that all you have to do is claim those promises in the scripture and riches and healing will follow. And that's a false teaching, guys. Um, and, And one of the problems and reasons I'm bringing it up is I've known personally it leading to many people with broken hearts and walking away from God because they feel like he doesn't love them anymore. And that's not the way that works. That's not the way God works at all. Um, And outside of those circles, that that false teaching, that's been named the prosperity gospel. Um, People who teach that way wouldn't call themselves that, so you wouldn't find it in anything they say. But if you have at all a whiff of that kind of thing, of someone that you're reading or listening to, You should check it out, and I'm sure some quick research you can find out if that's the way they teach, and and that's a false teaching. They're they're basing a lot of things on a verse or two and ignoring a lot of other ones, and to to their detriment, to the people following detriment. So that's a place where the the idea of wealth connecting to God may throw us off, and I want you to be aware of that. That that's not true, but I think for for most of us, where we might mess this up, and that I got this kind of thing with our wealth. Um, is our finances in this life, how things are, are working out for us. Many of us tend to plan things out, you know, dot our I's, cross our T's, we Dave Ramsey it up, we get everything all in order, okay? And what happens is we end up not relying on God to keep us um, where we need to be in life financially. Um, and get me wrong, obviously God, I said it earlier, God wants us to work productively. He wants us to, to um, work well for our employers, to provide for our families. That's all very spiritual, spiritually correct, Christian things to do from the word, right? Not, a, not at all a mistake there. He wants us to plan financially. I mentioned earlier the ants. Those things are all very true. Um, but what we have to do as we do all that is we need to remember that the source of all of that stuff is from the Lord that God's in, working in all of that. If you're able to have a job, it's because he's helping you provide, right? If you're able to uh, fa- uh, financially plan and take care of things that way, it's because he's provided you those things. And and if you don't have that, that attitude of thankfulness and, and giving credit to him, you're really taking it on yourself. You know, I've got this. I did all this for myself. You, you should be thankful if you've planned and you have an emergency fund and when things go wrong, you're able to deal with it. But the reason you did all that, hopefully you understand, is because God's giving you the wisdom. He's touching your life. He's helping you see what to do. There's a lot of people that don't do that, and they're not listening to what God said, right? So um, you, you need to give um, God thanks for the, the, the wisdom you have. Give him thanks for your job, even if it stinks, guys. I've been in some stinky jobs, but it put food on the table, right? And, and no, it's not fun and you want to get out of there as bad as possible. I understand that. But be thankful that you have a job and you have food and you have a house to live in and stuff like that. And, and if you've not had some of those things, you ought to share it with the folks around you to let them know what it really is like to be in need. I've never been in need. I've always had a house, I've always had food. I, you know, I, I can't say what it's like to not have that. If some of us here have been in that circumstance, those are good stories to share in a humble and gentle way to let people know that we've got it pretty good here in America, right? We're, we're doing okay in that sense. Um, so we need to be thankful for God for that. Give him the credit for the wisdom he gave you and the wisdom he gave David Ramsey, right? That, I'm so glad guys like that exist that help us understand how to do things. But don't take it for granted. You don't got that. God is helping you through all that, right? And the other big part of the I got this lie that comes up and this is really the heart of all of this, honestly, is that we're okay without needing God's input in our life in any way, that we just got everything covered. Um, and now moving to chapter 3 in Zephaniah, and here as Zephaniah draws his book to a close, he starts really hitting pretty hard here. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, uh, Zephaniah writes this. Talking she is, is referring to Jerusalem the the entire city of Jerusalem. She listens to no voice She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not trust near draw near to her God Totally, I don't I don't need you I've got this is what it boils down to and that is really the source of all of our trouble when we don't connect with God Correctly is thinking hey, I got this I don't need you When we're proud like that when we think we don't need anything especially spiritually that's really what this is about this isn't about what job I should take? This is about—is my heart right with God? When we take that "I don't need Him" attitude, that I, I'm right as I am, that's the defiance that I was talking about earlier. You're defying God, and you're bringing His wrath. That, that's that's completely offensive to Him. And it—you think about the parent-child relationship, and and some of you may have children that have defied you and said, "I don't need you." And how painful that must be. I've not had that situation, but. That, think about that, how painful that would be. You, you, many of you, we've all seen movies where parents, kids have done that anyway. If nothing else, you've seen a movie where kids have you know, spit in their parents' face and walk away, and, and we are supposed to understand the pain that would bring, right? And how much worse is it doing that to our creator, to the guy who died for us, right? That's just not cool. So that, that's, that, that's the issue here. And the, so some of the attitudes that, that sink in, and these are very cultural. These are very much in our culture today, real. I'm good enough as I am, right? Or I'm more good than bad, you know, I, I've done, if, if, if we weighed out the scales, the good side would win. I, I'd be, I'm, I'm okay, that's good enough, right? That stance is the default setting, I think, one of those two is the default setting for everybody. Just like the me do it thing is the default setting, right? It's, it's all the way, it's the thank you Adam and Eve for falling and, and putting that in us, that's how we are. That, that we don't think we need God. Um, and it's, it's so utterly backwards, so utterly completely not true. And in fact, we're not only unwilling to receive help, we don't even want it. We think we don't even need it. And, and that's that's just the problem. That, that, and when we're at that point, just like Anakin, then we are lost, right? Now that's the Bible describes it that way. We're lost. We need to have that attitude turned around. Um again, I was trying to think of a real-life analogy here. Um I, I don't know if this works or not, but we'll give it a try. Imagine you're drowning, okay? Most of us in this room, if we were drowning, would not hesitate to grab that rope, the hand, the life preserver, whatever anyone threw us, we're happy to take it, okay? Uh, so that, that's, you know, pretty obvious. But what if you thought you could breathe underwater? I got this. I'll Harry potter myself up and get some gills or something. We're good to go. I don't need anybody's help. That's gonna last until right about there. <laughs> and then you're gonna start gurgling and bubbling and if you maintain that I don't need help, I can breathe water, that's the end of you, right? So that, that's, that, that would be my like, physical analogy for the spiritual realm. If you feel like you can breathe water, you're gonna drown, right? That's what's gonna happen. So if you don't spiritually realize you can't breathe water, it's J.B. Jones locker for you, mate. You're done, right? You're gonna drown. You're not coming back. So that's what happens when we get that, I got this attitude with God. If we never let go of that, I got this, we're gonna drown, and honestly guys, the world would tell you, you've got this. The devil would tell you, you've got this. That's a very strong lie that people would have you believe. And like I said before, you don't got this, none of us do. I don't got this either, right, we need Jesus. If you don't have that reality, perk up in your brain, it's trouble. So here's what Zephaniah says. Here's what God says through Zephaniah to those who do get this. This is the result of getting that, that I don't got it and I need help. In, in verse three, chapter seven, and then jump into 11, this is how God responds to those. And this actually, this was something that struck me. I'd never thought about this this way before. This verse, one of these verses popped out at me really, really powerfully. Verse seven, it says, I said, this is God speaking, I said, Surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. Pretty normal, if you, you know, repent, I'll give you, I'll take care of you kind of thing. But then jumping down to verse 11, this is what stuck stuck me pretty strongly here. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. Verse 11 there really stood out to me. The people who feared the Lord and, and accepted the correction and repented, they were not held to the same account as the proud people, even though they had rebelled, right? I mean, this, this is not a new idea, but it just, he, he, he flat out said it. You shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. I know you sinned, I know you rebelled, but I'm not gonna hold you to account because you accepted correction. You accepted the fact that you weren't right and you needed to be fixed. Okay, that, that's the gospel, guys. We're gonna sin, he knows that. See, God's not looking for, for, for perfection. That's one of the things that we have to realize. Um, and a lot of people that are, are starting to walk towards Jesus can, and, and we as, as people who are following Jesus might give off this aura, so watch yourself, right? We try to get our act together and live like God wants us to, and I'll address that in a minute and that's a good thing to do, but we're gonna fall, and we're not gonna be perfect, and we need to make sure as people who are following Jesus, we let it be known that we know we're not perfect and that we fall, because those who are coming up along the way that don't know Jesus yet and are trying to might see us as trying to be perfect as the way that we get to know God, and that's not right. That trying to be right with God by our behaviors comes after, (laughs) after we've accepted the correction, and he's, he's taken that proudness out of our heart and made us humble and lowly, we can follow him that way. And so the, the idea that, um, that God knows we're not perfect is important, that that's that there, and that he's going to forgive those things that we've done, even though we have rebelled. He's gonna forgive that if we'll, if we'll accept that correction. It's an important thought that, that people need to know. Um, see, he, that he, he, knows we, he knows we don't got this. He knew that from the start, right? What he's looking for from us is he wants us to know it and act like it, to act like we know we don't have it and we need him. And when that goes on, man, it's a really good deal. He's he's happy to to help us out, to connect with us, to to grow us, to love us, and and to make us who we're supposed to be in the first place, right? The way he made us to be. So as Zephaniah does, I urge you to take God seriously in this stuff, that that when you're considering how to live, consider God. It is a big deal, he does care, right? And when you're living your life, understand the world's talking to you too. And, and you know, with a grain of salt, listen, right? There, the world has some okay things to say. You can learn things, but not spiritually, right? You gotta, you gotta be listening to God with those things. And I, I, I think when we look at the, the things that God expresses himself about living, living after him, you know, as I was just talking about, about trying to live to please him, um, one of the things that I feel like happens, they like, one of two things is the typical response for most people when they start thinking about like, God's commandments and how, how he's expressed in the Bible that we should live. Um, one of two feelings is probably the norm. One is either, here's a checklist for how I can please God and make myself right with him. Or the other is probably something like, oh, I, I can't do all that, how am I supposed to do that? He's just a killjoy, he's killing me, right? One of those two things is probably the, the natural feeling that we get when we read the scriptures about how God wants us to live. And they're both, they both have a kernel of truth in them, but they're both completely, drastically wrong. Ne- neither of those is the way to, to look at this. The kernel of truth in there would be this. Yes, it does please God, please God when we obey him. That's a good idea to do, right? And yes, it is a burden we could never bear. We can never do all that. Those are true. Where those ideas miss the boat is that it's not obedience that makes us right with God, because we have plenty of disobedience mixed in there with it. It's an impure mix, and it's no good for anything, right? And then the other part of that is that God wants to bear that burden for us. That, that's where the other part of that misses the boat. See, God's commands are not intended to burden us to kill our joy. In fact, that's the, that's the glory of the gospel message. He bears the burden that we can't so that we can live and have joy. That's what the gospel is all about. And if, if you've gotten any of those other half-truths or lies out of the scriptures, that's what it's all about, guys, if, if that's something that's confused you. And only when we understand that he, he's the one that he wants to bear the burden for us, we can't do it, and he wants to do it, only then when we understand that, when we put our hearts in that place and let him bear that burden for us, that's when we can please God. That's when we can live to obey him and please him. Not that sometimes obedience, that most of the time disobedience, that doesn't do anything for him. That, that stuff, the way we live before, we have that understanding of we can't bear this. We try to obey, but we can't. We try to obey, but we can't. That, that's the standard fare, okay? That, that doesn't please God at all. When we say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this, and we turn it over to him, we let him bear those burdens for us on the cross, when he pays that for us, then our obedience can follow, and it still won't be perfect, but it follows with joy on our part. And with he's pleased with us on his part because we're his children. We're knowing we can't be right. We're trusting him to pay the penalty, and then we're living for him in a way that would please him. Again, uh, trying to think about how those expectations and commandments and stuff. I, I came back to thinking about kids again for how how we can understand what his commandments are really for. Okay, when because they can It feels like he's trying to be a killjoy because he won't let me do X, Y, and Z. I, I get that. I get why people feel that way, okay, I understand that it's not correct, but I understand it. Um, you know when a kid does something bad, like you just makes a mess and throws all the food on the floor or something like that, just to pick an example you and again, it depends on the age right a, a baby was one thing, a five year old's another to figure this out right um, you, when you tell the kid that can comprehend, hey, pick that up, clean up your mess, you know take care of business, you know when I do that, I want the kid to obey me, obviously um, but Here's the thing when you when we're thinking about how God tells us to do stuff if we have the five-year-old's attitude That the, the 5 year olds probably should mm, pick it up because dad said so maybe if they'll even do that right And then just kind of go about it and maybe it gets done Maybe it get done gets done poorly who knows right, but it's a command to be obeyed and if you don't there's gonna be trouble kind of thing That's not what God wants from us Right, and when, when I'm doing that with my kids. I don't want them just to see it as do it because I said so right and <laughs> I, of course, told myself that I would never say that, and I can't count the number of times I have, so you know, you you do use that kind of thing, Um, but that's really not what I want to to convey to the child when that happens. What I want them to do is understand that was a bad idea. Don't make a mess, you've wasted food, someone's gotta clean that up, and you're not gonna do a good job, so someone's gonna have to clean up after you anyway, right? And it's just not the way to live. It's just foolish and wasteful and, and silly, so what I want that child to recognize is that's not something to do because it's just a bad idea and it messes up your life and our lives and stop it. right? Just Let's not do that. So when we look at the way that God tells us to do things, it's almost the same way, maybe even the same way. He's not trying to tell us, knock it off because I said so. He's saying, hey, that's, that's not the right way. This is the right way. This is how you're gonna be better off. This is the way that when you live, things are gonna work out better for you. You're gonna get along with people better. You're not going to be as much animosity. Everybody's going to like each other, and, and it'll be a good thing. right? Um, and that is to our benefit, I would think. right? That, that's, he's trying to help us live better amongst each other. Um, and honestly, it, his, his intention is that we enjoy our lives. And we enjoy them when they're working right. When, when things are dysfunctional, we don't enjoy that. So when we look at the commandments that God has, we need to take that perspective that he knows better how things work than we do, and if we kinda do what he says because he knows what he's doing, we're gonna end up better off. That, that's the perspective that you wanna have on God's commands, not the, you know, he's gonna punch me at the end because I was a bad boy kind of thing. That's not the point. The real point is to enjoy him, first of all, and then what he's done in, in creating us and giving us the lives we have. That's the the reality of it. Honor honor God and and love each other. So when we look at the lies that our culture has around us, these are gonna distract us from all those things. They're gonna pull us away from all that kind of thinking. So hopefully you've been able to to get some application out of that, that you can hear the world for its lies and and follow the the word for the truth. I wanna end here, and I'm gonna let God have the last word, because the end of Zephaniah is just, a, it's a culmination of all the hopes we have as Christians. It, it's an awesome, you know, when I was trying to figure out how to close this down and I read this, I'm like, I got nothing better to say than that. So I'm just gonna read this to you. Um, and I, as I do that, I pray that you would, you would hear from the Lord what he has in store for those who follow him and want that for yourself, okay? No matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, whether you're, you know, for years and years loving him and wanting to follow, this is for you, absolutely. If you're just exploring what's going on and you don't know who Jesus is, this is the promise he's making if you'll follow him. And it's good stuff. So I'm going to read this last passage and I'm going to ask the band to come up while I do that. Um, when I finish, I'm just going to let them start playing. And the song they're going to play is uh, one intended for you to respond to what you've heard today, okay? It's time, to, time for reflection and response um, and, and just hear from the Lord. So uh, if the band would come up, I'm just going to read this it'll be on there you can read with me I got a feeling guys. I know if I was sitting here I'd want to stand up and and read this along with me because this is just good stuff You don't have to read with me, but this is just an excellent uh, Way to finish our time together and say look what God's gonna do Starts in verse 14 of chapter 3 Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortune before your eyes, says the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.